I mean, I was going to ask you what's your favorite uh, sci-fi movie, but I guess I might as well ask what's your favorite shit coin? <laughs> I don't know. I don't have a favorite shit coin. Maybe Ethereum because it's the, the shittiest of the shit coins. Fair. Fair. Uh, what is your favorite sci-fi movie? Hmm. I guess if I had to pick one, maybe Interstellar. Ooh. I thought it was really well done. Excellent. Excellent choice. I fully believe that there is a fourth dimension that just oversees us. Like after watching that movie, that it's decided that is that is the reality. With with a twing of we live in a simulation. But I digress. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome in to another episode of Late Night Bitcoin. I am your host, Q, and I have a very, very special guest with me today. I'm joined by Samson Mao, the expert on orange pilling nation states, the CEO of Jan3, the architect of Bitcoin bonds, the CEO of Pixelmatic, and the creator of Infinite Fleet. Samson, thank you so much for taking the time, staying up way past your bedtime and mine to join me on Late Night Bitcoin. Yeah, thanks for having me, Q. It's been a long time in the plans, and uh, I'm glad to be here. So I'm going to start this episode like I start every episode, and I'd love to hear what was the first time you ever heard about Bitcoin, and what was what were your initial thoughts and reactions to hearing about this technology? So I'm not sure when the first time I heard of Bitcoin was, but I'm 99.99% sure that it was through reading about it somewhere. So I used to consume RSS feeds like uh, pretty much like an addict. So I had everything set up and I would suck it in through, I don't know, Google Reader or something at the time. I forgot, but I would just consume a lot of news about tech and startups and um, building companies. And I'm pretty sure it came across my desk that way, but I didn't pay too much attention to it at that time because I was busy doing other stuff like building games and whatnot. So it just kind of crossed my view. And I guess the, I mean, it just sounded like something that people were using to buy drugs. So I didn't pay a lot of attention to it back then. Valid. What was, what sort of kicked you in the ass that made you realize like, Hey, there's something, there's something more than just, you know, some people buying drugs online. Well, I should have bought some drugs, but uh, <laughs> hindsight is twenty twenty. Same, but, bro. Same. Yeah, but um, it was also another article. Uh, I think it was a TechCrunch article about Bitcoin mining. So prior to the, reading that, I didn't really know how Bitcoin worked. I just saw, you know, someone did something with Bitcoin, someone bought something with Bitcoin or whatever. But um, it kind of always appeared to me as a just a digital currency or a virtual currency. And I assumed that there was someone behind it that made it. But um, it was the mining article that really got my eyes open because I went through and read it. It was like a guide on how to mine, how to you know set up a Bitcoin node and configure everything. And once I read that, that was my aha moment because I realized this network is just secured by the people that run the network and anybody can participate. So I guess that was the kind of light bulb moment for myself that this is different, this is unique, and this is a game changer. I want to play a game real quick with you of would you rather. Now, the end result, you have the same amount of Bitcoin, whether it's one whole Bitcoin or zero Bitcoin, irrelevant. But would you rather have been a part of the Silk Road Mafia and been splurging your Bitcoin back then, or would you rather have been the person who is credited with 
Bitcoin pizza day, having spent your Bitcoin on pizza? I don't know. I think I would choose the pizza because okay. that's uh, it's more infamous. And, yeah. you know, if I was involved with Silk Road, then I probably wouldn't be a free man. So who knows? <laughs> Touche. Touche. Um, Samson, I'd love to, you know, you've seen and heard about Bitcoin for a good amount of time now. You've been instrumental in helping to push Bitcoin fo- forward, not just on an individual level, but on a nation state level. But here we are in the depths of a bear market. And, and I do have to ask in a, a little bit of a tasteless way, how's business going? <laughs> well, I don't know. I think it's uh, we're doing quite well for a bear market. You know, we went down to like 16, 17 and we're back at 28. So you know, it's not 69K, but uh, I would say we're doing okay. I, I would say Bitcoin is severely undervalued right now. Um, I would put the fair market bear price at, you know, 40K or something like that. So I would say we're trading a bit low, but it'll fix itself in time. Um, but to answer your question, I think it, it does have an impact because a lot of... Um, no, not no coiners, pre-coiners, people that don't really know about Bitcoin, they're very much uh, influenced by market sentiment. So when Bitcoin is uh, pumping and it's at all-time highs, there's definitely a lot more interest. And it also didn't help that we saw a lot of uh, shitcoins and companies associated with shitcoins blow up spectacularly. And that does have some impact on people's willingness to engage with us at Jan 3 and discuss Bitcoin adoption. Because if we're talking to politicians, they're very sensitive to uh, public perception. And to them, Bitcoin is a cryptocurrency and there's not that many degrees of separation from the shitcoins. And I think that's an ongoing mental model that we have to break, that there's Bitcoin and then there's everything else. And we should not be lumped together with the everything else. So yeah, I, I would say it's dependent on price, the interest, I think, but it is warming up. Like we were in Costa Rica uh, a couple weeks ago and we we're engaging with politicians there. We met with some uh, people in the government and I think it's starting to warm back up. And I, I, I would say it's a big opportunity for them because if you get in now, it's still not bad comparing to getting in at the next all-time high, which would be you know, 100K or plus. So better at the 28K mark, around 30 mark, than going in at the top. But not as good as going in at you know, 16K. But the problem is when it gets down to 16K, everyone thinks it's going to die. So you can't really win. It's that, it's that moment where you really have to remember, uh, and I hate giving him the credit for it, but that old Warren Buffett quote of, you know, be greedy when others are fearful. That was, that was definitely the moment, at least in recent memory where the convicted hands definitely took advantage. But to your point, and I'm, I'm a little curious to know, you know, on the heels of FTX, on the heels of so many of these cryptos, you even allude to just, there's a little bit of negative sentiment overall around just cryptocurrency. Is it as simple as, Hey, Bitcoin is separate or, do you mind walking us through just what do you say in that situation? Like I get caught in that situation just with friends. Oh, like, but like, isn't Bitcoin dead? Like FTX blew up. It's like, oh, nothing, nothing to do with Bitcoin. Pretty much. I mean, 
I think we just have to keep on getting the message out there and repeating it over and over and over again, because you have the the shit coins and the shit coin companies actively trying to conflate Bitcoin and crypto. You know, we're in this together. Uh, what was it? Uh, some Ethereum guy was saying uh, both sides don't want to admit it, but we need each other more than we, you know, we do or we pretend to do. But, you know, we don't need them at all. So I think we just have to keep on going at it and explaining, but actually going out there meeting people and really trying to break it down for them and get into the nuts and bolts of you know, what the industry is and what it is not. Because you know, for an average person, they really can't tell the difference between Bitcoin and other things. And that is an active narrative that the shitcoins are trying to propagate. So it takes a lot more effort from our side to counteract that. Obviously, shitposting works excellent on a digital sphere. Like we donk, bully, and make fun of some of the dumbest people who come up with these takes. But how do you translate that to a more professional setting? Like, do you just show them the memes you make and then they they side with you? No, I'm not Giacomo Zuko. I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, generally, I try to frame uh, Bitcoin adoption outside of Bitcoin. So it's more about economics and alignment of incentives and really just um, trying to discuss money in general and prosperity for a nation state in general. So I think you can do a lot of that. And one thing I want to do eventually is give a talk at, uh, you know, at a legislative assembly or Senate or something along those lines and not talk about Bitcoin, not say the B word, but talk about Bitcoin. That would be fun, I think, to see if I could go through a, a 20, 30 minute lecture without mentioning Bitcoin, but talking about all the principles of Bitcoin, because it just goes to illustrate the point that you know, Bitcoin is much bigger than Bitcoin. It's about uh, building prosperity for future generations. It's about sound fiscal policy, about having sound money to build your country on and building a civilization on. And it's also about energy and energy independence and sovereignty. So there's a lot of things that tie in and around Bitcoin, but are not necessarily just you know, limited to Bitcoin itself, like the money. There's an entire sphere of things around it, I think, that you can talk to people and orange pill them. Um, there's a Canadian politician, Pierre Polyev, he's the leader of the Conservative Party, but he talks a lot about these principles. So he kind of hits on all the points about why you want good fiscal policy, responsible spending, um, responsible budgeting, and sound money. And he doesn't talk about Bitcoin, but I think he is a Bitcoiner, but he doesn't really reference it. But I think that line of thought and that angle can be used with a lot of politicians that we should align ourselves with, or they want to, they could align with Bitcoin. I want to focus for a second just here in America, and then we can talk a little more globally because we've seen this rumbling of this digital currency, and we've seen some politicians come out and actually condemn this. Um, Ron DeSantis passed the legislation in Florida saying, absolutely not, the state of Florida will not touch this. Then, of course, Ted Cruz, you know, doing whatever's the hot thing. is like, oh, we're, we do that in Texas too now. And Marjorie Taylor Greene recently actually came out against the CBDCs as well. Do you feel as though there is this growing sentiment around an anti-CBDC that could actually be helpful for Bitcoin? Or will that potentially lead to just an outright 
We're not doing any digital currencies, no crypto, nothing. Hmm. Hard to say, but again, we're going to, Bitcoin is going to be wrapped up in CBDC discussions and everything, no matter what. Like, um, I think there was that clip of uh, Elizabeth Warren saying, you know, Bitcoin is bad, but a central bank digital currency or government digital currency is a good thing. So you have conflation all the time with uh, a CBDC. I, I think these people believe you can just replace Bitcoin with CBDC. And the whole appeal of Bitcoin is the fact that it's digital and they're hoping the masses can just swallow that without any critical thinking. But I would say the anti-CBDC movement is important because CBDCs are a really bad idea. With, with a caveat, it could have, be, could have been done right if they built it with privacy. But it seems that um, nobody's interested in doing that. They all want it to be a method of control. So, you know, I was hopeful that a government would understand that having cash, having bare cash, e-cash is useful. But it seems they don't understand that. So they're trying to create something digital but controlled. So I think all the opposition now is warranted and we do need it because if we don't fight back against it, it's just going to be rolled out, right? Just like COVID lockdowns, people just accepted it and it became the norm. And it took a lot of effort to get rid of it. But we do have enough awareness, I think, these days about the dangers of CBDCs. And we have a lot of people actively fighting against them that we can probably resist and stop them from even coming out the door. If you wouldn't mind, speculating with me but from the lens of you get total control in this situation in your opinion what is the best case and what is the worst case situation for bitcoin here domestically well the best case is uh bitcoin is just accepted as money obviously but it's difficult i think um the u.s in particular you have a lot of entrenched interest there that want to keep the dollar as the dominant uh, form of money in the world and as a reserve currency too. So you do have a lot of strong push towards going into the CBDC route. So I think it's difficult to say, but you know, I'm not particularly hopeful it's going to work out well in the US just because of uh, all the interest there that would be against Bitcoin. And if you look at it, objectively, the U.S. should definitely embrace Bitcoin, right? If you look at the countries that are rolling out CBDCs, they're pretty much surveillance states. And you'd think that uh, politicians in the land of the free would automatically understand that it's a bad idea to copy a surveillance state in anything that they're doing. So we'll have to see how it plays out. I just see it as a a lopsided battle because it's like it should have been a no-brainer that the u.s embraced bitcoin and embraced bitcoin mining but you do see the the crackdowns on mining and the leaning towards implementing poorly thought out legislation to crack down on on bitcoin too yeah i think frankly i've come to a point in in realizing in this country at least if our hope is left in the hands of the government. We are so fucked. 
Um, but to maybe be a little bit more hopeful and optimistic, let's let's now leave America for a second. Uh, I want to talk first on the growing news that if you've not been paying attention very quietly and very subtly, different countries all across the world are making deals amongst themselves to essentially complete or transact in foreign trade without the dollar. We're seeing Saudi Arabia and China strike a deal to exchange oil for the yuan. We have China helping to broker the deal between Iran and Saudi Arabia. You have Iran and Russia even discussing a joint currency of sorts for them to more easily and quickly transact and trade. Is this the moment that Bitcoin could actually find itself in one of these conversations? Not all of them, just one. For one country to say, hey, you want our oil, you want our resources, we, we'll do this, just send, us, send it to us in Bitcoin. We're not going to keep it in Bitcoin. You're not going to keep it in Bitcoin. But trust us, we can do this quicker and easier if we just send it to each other in Bitcoin. Is there this opportunity? Or am I just really hopeful and high? Hard to say. I mean, you would have thought, I, I guess we're looking at it from uh, orange tinted glasses, right? But you would have thought that they would have figured it out already. But you can see that BRICS was trying to, is trying to launch their own currency, right? So they're still stuck in the fiat mindset. But I, I think the important underlying message that we should be looking at, and it, which should be giving us hope is that they understand that the dollar is a losing its its edge, and it's a failing reserve currency. So at least there is that understanding. And maybe it takes them a couple more years to go through the thought process. But eventually all roads lead to Bitcoin and they have to understand having uh, a decentralized money that no one controls and that you can teleport around the world is probably the best mechanism for conducting international trade. But I think they're going to give it one last go and make some new fiat currency to do that in the meantime. But I mean, we'll, we'll see. I, I, it doesn't take a lot of effort to use Bitcoin for international trade. It just takes a a couple of brains thinking about it and making that jump. So you could see some sort of trade agreement emerging in Latin America if more countries there did adopt Bitcoin. Um, so it could be like Guatemala trading with El Salvador or something like that, and they'll settle in, in Bitcoin. But maybe it has something to do with El Salvador's you know, Bitcoin law and Bitcoin adoption. Now, I, call, I say this and I'll caveat it by saying I'm Iranian, so I don't consider Iran a, a bad country. But a lot of people in America will quickly label Iran, Russia, all these countries as terrible, El Salvador, or you don't want to deal with them. Is there a stigma that could be an uphill battle for more developed nations to look at Bitcoin as a solution if you know, countries like Russia, Iran are using Bitcoin. Potentially, but I mean, I don't think it, it can, that stigma would, would outweigh the benefits of using Bitcoin. At the end of the day, it's about practicality and pragmatism, right? You have to accept the best form of money and the hardest form of money. You might not like it, but you have to accept it, right? And I just think that uh, it's kind of silly that we we dislike anybody like because of your nationality, like you're Russian or 
Chinese or Iranian or whatever. It shouldn't really matter. The thing is, all of these, uh, all, all of this posturing and uh, positioning other countries as adversaries is something that the governments do. And they do that to achieve certain goals. But at the end of the day, a person is a person. You shouldn't really matter. Like your nationality doesn't make you bad, just like the color of your skin doesn't make you bad. So I think we have to evolve out of this short-sighted, narrow thinking of, you know, someone is from some country and they're bad and, you know, we should sanction them. Actually, sanctions don't really hurt the countries. They hurt the people in the countries too. So say it louder for the people in the back. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> sanctions only hurt people in the countries they don't hurt the governments they they're fine they'll they'll manage right but um maybe bitcoin can fix that we'll to see but it's a evolutionary and potentially revolutionary process that has to happen because if you can't control the money supply it's much harder to enforce sanctions so if there is sort of a sanction it's sort of like bitcoin consensus rules everybody has to agree and not do business with them because when the money is outside of the control of a nation state, then it's really back to the people and it's actually a far more democratic system. It, it really is. It, it, in my opinion, is the only true form of democracy that exists because every other form of democracy that we have in this world is in some way warped to benefit those that have gained control of its power. Whereas with Bitcoin, it, it doesn't care. You want you want to fork off and do something else? Go go nuts. Go to BSV. Go to Bitcoin Cash. Go to all of these other shit coins. Um, have you found yourself ever in an, in a setting where you go in expecting to talk about Bitcoin and you are just asked questions from someone who more or less is interested in a shit coin? Um. No, I think generally we filtered enough to not have that. But, um, but you know, there are people, I guess, that do take a lot of interest in shitcoins because they're looking for a way to get rich. And I, I think if you look at it from a nation state level, the Central African Republic did do that, right? They did a Bitcoin law and then they launched Sango coin because they thought they're going to get a ton of investment and money flowing in. But that's not the case because the only way it works is you have to take money from an existing shitcoin, like Ethereum or something, and then they'll give you money. Or you have to do something to pump their bags, and then they'll do something. But if you launch your own shitcoin, you know you'd have to pump it yourselves and dump it on somebody yourselves. What is the one area in the world, as far as Bitcoin development goes, that people aren't paying attention to? that after listening to this podcast, now everyone is going to be watching, keeping a close eye on all five people watching right now. Hmm. I don't know. I would say people should pay more attention to liquid. It's often dismissed because a lot of Bitcoiners are hodlers, right? But the liquid network is functioning on a number of levels to produce the building blocks for a new financial system. And because of confidential transactions, I think you get e-cash like properties um, with things like Tether on it. So I think some people are looking at it, but it's all also outrightly dismissed by a lot of people thinking, oh, nobody uses it because they're looking at transaction um, volume on the network. But 
Liquid is a settlement network, just like Bitcoin is a settlement network. So even if there's just like two transactions every minute, uh, because there's more blocks, right? There's 10 blocks every 10 minutes, like one blocks a minute instead of uh, one block every 10 minutes like Bitcoin. But you don't know how much is going through. And from the exchange data we were able to gather, uh, which they volunteered, it's uh, you know average transaction size is like one Bitcoin and upwards. So people are using it to settle large amounts and quickly between each other. But um, I think Anita Posh is starting to go down the liquid rabbit hole and she's got a thesis that liquid is probably better for a lot of the global south because it has that privacy component to it, whereby you can, you know, not have every transaction you're doing be seen by some other party. And in the case of dissidents and people that are protesting or you know, uh, fighting against uh, oppress oppressive regimes, then you definitely don't want your transactions to be tracked so that you can be persecuted afterwards. So let me think, what else? So I think Adam back announced the couple days ago that Simplicity is getting closer to launch on Liquid too. So that gives more composability and smart contracting functions to Liquid. So I think uh, that's the biggest thing I would say to your five viewers that they should probably take a look at Liquid. I've already written it down, so I'd have my homework. Um, let's flip the script a little bit. We got a little bit more than 15 minutes left, but uh, my assistant, also known as ChatGPT and everyone's favorite new toy, has taken over the interweb. Um, I was going to allude to earlier when you brought up the bricks, how, if you, have you read the mandibles? The, the what? The mandibles. No. So it, it's one of those books that circulates on Bitcoin Twitter. It's a fictional book, but it talks about what America would be like from like the late 20s to the 2040s and sort of the demise of the dollar and the effect it has on one family. And it, it genuinely starts by explaining the situation that we're, we're witnessing right now with the BRICS. And the money in the mandibles is called the BANCOR, B-A-N-C-O-R. And they this group of countries goes and forms their own currency. The rest of the world is kind of like, yeah, we're not going to use the dollar anymore. We're going to use that. The U.S. is like, no, like, rah, rah, rah. We have to use the dollar. And it just it ruins it for everyone else. So that book, it feels like it's coming to life. And that alludes to what I'm trying to get to, which is it feels like all these AI things are just leading us to the inevitable future, in my opinion, where like they are our overlords if they're not already, which arguably they might be. Arguably, we might all just be in a matrix little pod right now. But do, do you worry or are you excited about AI technology right now? Well, first I have to ask Kiku, like, how do you know this is not chat GBT with a image generated from mid journey? Bro, you want to go down? I'm so down to go down this rabbit hole with you because we don't know. If anything, everything happening right now only confirms to me that the likelihood that we live within a simulation is becoming more and more real by the day. All of the like, deep fake stuff that we see with like celebrities doing this or that it's like yeah we're gonna get tom cruise mission impossible movies for the next 100 years tom cruise will be dead and his likeness will continue to make those movies and it will become so real you'll never know the difference which you have to ask the question if they can do that for a movie 
how could we not think that it's already been done with everything we're experiencing and seeing right now? Yeah, well, the only good thing is uh, proof, of, <laughs> proof of work means that <laughs> it's not likely that we're in a simulation because it would slow the simulation down because with the uh, Bitcoin and proof of work mining, you keep adding more and more energy. There's no way to simulate proof of work. So even if this is a simulation, that just means this simulation, the machine that we're running on is going to burn out soon or get more, get hotter, right? Because the, we're adding more and more hash rate. It's just keep, it just keeps on going up, right? So the at least... How many times have we joked about like, yo, the simulation is glitching? I, you're only confirming this for me, man. Like, well, maybe the simulation's glitching because of proof of work, right? So we're kind of breaking the machine, and that's why we have all the clown world stuff happening because it can't keep up. So maybe the solution is to turn off all Bitcoin mining, and then we unglitch the simulation, and we go back to a sane world. No, 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 I'd rather break the simulation down outright. Yeah. The question is, do you think we're within the first iteration of the simulation? Or do you, like, I, I am of the camp that we're actually in a simulation to the nth degree, like in within a simulation of a simulation of a simulation, somewhere along that line. Because there's infinite of those and there's only one true timeline. Hard to say. I, I would wager we're still in base reality. Okay. Okay. We might be creating some of these simulations in our reality. Man. It's kind of it like it's so silly because I'm too sober to ask the the cliche high response of like what is the meaning of life, bro? But it it begs the question sometimes of just how insignificant so many things that we care about are and how significant the things that sometimes we overlook end up being. Um, I've seen this conversation circulate a lot around AI being as impactful or as life-changing as the advent of the internet um, and how it accelerated industry and work in a way that we, we didn't even anticipate at the time. Do you find that analogy very similar or do you think it, it's a little bit of a we saw it once with the whole DeFi slogan like is this another sort of vc pump and dump almost with like oh ai is the next frontier rah, rah, rah. well there's definitely some element of that right like anything that can be pumped a vc will try to pump it <laughs> but i honestly believe there is something to it um just because it is functioning technology, right? It actually does do something and it can make our lives easier. It's a human technology that's going to improve a number of areas in our lives and increase our productivity and just our ability to do different things. Um, so I think that part is real, but um, you know, there's obviously gonna be a ton of uh, VC pump and dump things around AI. What's your favorite use case presently for AI? Hmm. I haven't played with it myself, but um, there's a lot of uh, natural language interfaces that I think are interesting. So I signed up for one thing, which is like um, a Figma plugin where you could design a user interface just by natural language. And I saw another one someone posted, which was a Unity 
plugin where you can, or no, a Blender plugin. And maybe there will be a Unity plugin too, but you could potentially generate a lot of worlds and physics and interactions just by natural language. Um, so I think that is probably the more interesting thing, sort of becoming a tool for people to increase their productivity and being able to do more things much easier. I have to say as someone who like barely, and I have to put a very hard emphasis on barely knows how to code Python. It is so life-changing for me to be able to just explain, hey, take this data set. I want these things. These are the parameters you can play with and these different types of um, algorithms I want spat back at me, like create the script for me. Like, oh my God, it, it is remarkable. Yeah. Um, I wonder though, and you know, historically speaking, we've, we've seen technologies come in and just disrupt industries. The advent of technology in the industrial age, like led to at the time, you know, farmers and farming was one of the most common jobs just across the country. And then as more machinery was invented, that job and that career was less and less lucrative. Most recently, we've been seeing it a lot with factory workers. It just continues to get automated. Just off the top of your head, putting you on the spot, what's one or two different careers that you think will come to pass and no longer exist as a result of AI? Podcasting? Just kidding. <laughs> um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, late night podcasts, late night <laughs> chill podcasts. You know, I'll just chat with an AI and he'll virtually roll a joint. But um, no, I think we're going to see a reverse effect where a lot of um, tech jobs and IT type jobs are probably going to be obsoleted. And it's sort of like the reverse of that, where you're losing manual labor jobs because no one wants to do that anymore, but they want to work in tech. I think the manual labor type of jobs are actually going to become more in demand. Um, because of AI, because AI is going to, to eradicate a lot of what we think right now are you know, my, brain working jobs, like mind, using your mind, using your brain and thinking, uh, because actually a lot of them are not that complex to do. It's just, it's, uh, we were lacking that interface to a lot of things at which AI can provide. So I think maybe we're going to see more people doing physical things like farming or building things that cannot be automated or you know, customizing things. At what level of intelligence for these AI sort of platforms, tools, will you actually start to have some level of concern? Like if the AI could self-correct, for example, are you worried at that point or is it something more drastic has to happen where you would feel like this technology is sort of, it's definite. Chat GPT is smarter than you, but me, it literally can Google everything since up to 2021, I believe. So mm -hmm. I would love someone to try to beat chat GPT at any just quick little trivia game. Yeah. Um, but like, what is that level? What's that point for you? Hmm. I don't know. I mean, I, I think ultimately we have to, well, this is getting to the singularity part, but I think we need to merge with AI eventually mm -hmm. just to keep up. And 
I, I've thought about this a lot and it, it's part of the lore of infinite fleet. But I think in the future, we have to have some sort of a implant. In, in infinite fleet, it's called a seed chip, but it's just an augmented chip that's not connected to the internet or anything that just boosts your own cognitive function and memory. Uh, but it's sort of like a, you know, a, a not connected Bitcoin node. It's your own AI that boosts your own uh, abilities. But that, that happened after everyone was networked and there was a disaster. But that's part of the story. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's important like that not all AI is in the cloud. It has to be able to be run on your own device or your own server or something like that. Because you're going to have the same problem as what the tech companies brought us, which was consolidation of data into a big honeypot that's unsecured and leaked. And, you know, the AI is going to know a lot more about you over time too. So the, there's just a lot more risk involved with centralizing it. So we do need to have that sort of Bitcoin ethos where, you know, you have your own AI and it's self-contained and, you know, it manages your life, but it's not connected and it's not owned by Google or, the data is not controlled by a third party. You have to have your own data yourself. I I totally agree on the notion that like it is, we, we've learned this mistake already. We've learned that giving all of this data and information to a few large conglomerate companies is a very dangerous thing just for simple, smooth brain, for your, for your own mental health, it's a bad thing. For society, it's a bad thing. And then ramp it up to AI, absolutely. My concern is the idea that like, I'm gonna have to like tinker my own AI. Cause like my Jarvis and your Jarvis are gonna be so different. And your Jarvis honestly is just so much better that I would I would be willing to pay you Samson to help me build my Jarvis. Um, but would you be willing to, I don't know, have Elon Musk stick Neuralink in your brain because well, it affords that. I don't trust that. I, I lost a lot of trust in Elon once he failed to understand Bitcoin, either willingly or through lack of intelligence. But I, I think eventually we have to merge with the AI, especially with the way it's going, just be, to keep up, right? Um, because, you know, I, I would say we're probably above average in intelligence, but if if a chat GPT or some sort of AI can outthink your average human, you know, they kind of become obsoleted in a way, right? They can't really compete. So I'm not talking like next year or the two years later, but I'm talking on, you know, 20 to 50 year time horizons. I think we have to find a way to boost ourselves uh, at a cognitive level just for keeping up. And I think it's going to be done probably not, by a company, but it'll have to be done open source. Um, but like going back to your point, like you you have a Jarvis, I have a Jarvis. I think we'll just build it from source code and train it over time. But the playing field should be level. Um, I mean, the whole point of OpenAI was originally it was supposed to be open source, but they made it private now and raised a ton of money. So I don't know what the solution is. But if anything, Bitcoin has shown us that open source is powerful and we cannot we can build something far better and as bitcoin continues to appreciate in price we have more economic power and resources to devote to doing something like that sam i want to respect your time and i know 
we are about to wrap it up here. Do you have any final words of wisdom for me, for our audience, for anyone out there listening in the midst of this bear market? Well, let me see. On the, I guess on the same tangent that we went off about AI, I would say AI is probably a threat to democracy as we know it, because democracy is basically a constant 51% attack. And if you can have an AI loose in the wild, um, influencing public opinion, and they, for all intents and purposes, appear to be human, you can have a significant um, amount of influence, like, on pe what people vote for and the issues they vote for, right? Because for now, I would say a lot of people are followers, so they would simply follow what appears to be the current thing. Um, but with AI, that makes it, it's, it's far easier. And it could be controlled by someone or it could be the AI acting autonomously if it ever was able to. Um, but I think the evolution that we have to think about is moving towards a governance model of consensus. So everyone has to agree before something changes or there's a policy. I don't think it would function very much longer where you pick someone to re represent you and make decisions because they can also be influenced by the AI too. But overall, like the entire electoral process can be heavily influenced. And you know, there's a lot of concern about election interference from foreign states, right? Even in, at the funding level, they're worried about how it's funded. But I think it's far more likely that you'll have subtle, very effective manipulation from AI on electoral processes across the world in the future. Samson, thank you so much for your time, for your words of wisdom, all the laughs you provide both here as well as all over Twitter. How can our audience stay up to date with everything you've got cooking up and working on? Um, I guess they could follow me on Twitter. Uh, my handle is Excelion, E-X-C-E-L-L-I-O-N. You can also follow Jan3 at Jan3.com. And I'm on Nostr too. You can search for both Jan3 and me, Excelion and Jan3. Or I'm adding you on Nostr after this. Ladies and gentlemen, that is it. I'm going to go smoke some weed.